Abigail found something in the scripture and she sent it to me and said, hey, Rabbi, what do you think about this? And I said, well, I think you should share it. So she's going to share something short with you that she found a blessing. And I think that you will also. I also wanted to invite you to pray for Mary Grace, who's recovering from arm surgery. Thomas, who's recovering from hernia surgery. Cheryl, who's recovering from knee surgery. Brooke is also recovering from knee surgery. Marquita is recovering from arm surgery. And my son, Rabbi David, is going to be having surgery on his ankle, uh, the back of his ankle, his Achilles, uh, this, the 8th of February. So please pray for him um, in your prayer time. So do you have set up? You may be seated for Abigail and then the message. All right. So um, this week's Parsha in Exodus 17 uh, has a battle mentioned. And I was meditating on this several years ago and uh, noticed some things when I dug into the Hebrew using a Strong's Concordance. And a sort of picture was painted. And I thought, wow. That's really awesome, and every year I've wanted to try to remember since then, in time for this Parsha, to say something so maybe I could share with someone, um, and I forget, year after year, and thanks to the reminder of Rabbi Zamstein, my future father-in-law, about which Parsha was this week. Who, who was that? My future father-in-law. Okay, just... <laughs> Anyway, he sends these texts out, and it reminded me what Parsha it was, and that's how I remembered, oh, this is the one with the Amalekites in it. Okay. So then I was like, well, maybe I should say something to Rabbi, and sort of sheepishly did, and here we are. Um, so I'm going to read the text of the section, if you have your scriptures with you, whether electronically or in book form, you may want to flip over to Exodus 17, verse 8 through 16 in case you're someone who's visual and likes to see the words on the page or the screen. Verse 8. Then the Amalekites came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose men, go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said and fought the Amalekites, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the mountain. When Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, but when he let down his hand, the Amalekites prevailed. Moses' hand grew heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat down. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side, so his hands were steady until the sun went down. So Joshua overpowered the Amalekites and his army with the edge of the sword. Adonai said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and rehearse it in the hearing of Joshua, for I will utterly blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. Then Moses built an altar and called the name of it Adonai Nisi. Then he said, by the hand upon the throne of Adonai, Adonai will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So on the first slide, you'll see uh, Joshua and Moses and I just want to point out, for the sake of painting this picture, uh, that Moses' role can often be a type or shadow of Yeshua's first coming, his purpose being redemption. And that Joshua's role can be a type or shadow of Yeshua's second coming, leading the people of God into the, ult the promised land, but us ultimately the world to come. Now, uh, second... Okay, so you'll note in the text, um, Moses, Aaron, and her go up on the hill. They're all there together. And Moses' hand got tired in the process of holding up the staff. And Aaron and her came alongside him and held him up after they got a stone for him to sit on. Now the word stone here is a compound word of av, father, and Ben, son. Rabbis <laughs> talked about this before. Um, it's the same word when Jacob used a stone as a pillow in Genesis 28, 11, and verse 18. And it also makes me think of the Hillel Psalms in Psalm 118, 22, and 23. 
the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. So you see this picture of the father and the son and the stone that the builders rejected. Um, who's that make you think of? Yeshua? Yes? Okay. So as Moses' hands grew heavy, Aaron and Hur stepped in to help. Aaron, to, for the purpose of this picture that is being painted, is who? The high priest? The one who makes atonement for God's people. So remember atonement. Her has two meanings, and for the purpose of the picture we're painting, we're going to choose the meaning white linen. And that reminds me of Isaiah 61.10, how we rejoice greatly because God has clothed, clothed us in garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. Revelation talks about this being white linen. Um, interesting, right? Um, going on, what do they do for his hands? They steady them. This word steady is emuna, which is where we get our word faith. So you see this picture painted uh, with this battle going on that with atonement, with redemption, with faith, sustaining battle, sustaining us in a war. So Amalek, next slide, Amalek came to seek a, to harm and destroy God's people. And here Joshua represents Yeshua leading us victoriously in the war against the one who seeks to destroy. So as I said before, with redemption, with atonement through Yeshua, we are clothed in white linen that is robes of righteousness equipped with a steadiness or faith led by Yeshua to victory over the one that seeks our harm and destruction. And as the text said, this battle, is, this war is in every generation. It said um, that God would make war against Amalek. For the sake of our picture, it goes for every generation, us included. We can see also, it talks about the altar that was built and how it is Adonai Nisi, named Adonai Nisi, uh, the Lord my banner, is how it often is translated, but we know Nisi comes from Ness, which means miracle. We see the miracle of redemption, the miracle of atonement, the miracle of these robes of righteousness, the miracle of victory over the one who seeks to destroy us. An amazing picture of God's plan, and it has been here for hundreds of years in this text. I think that should encourage you to dig into God's word because you never know what wondrous things he may open your eyes to. You know, I think it's interesting uh, as we look at this week's Parsha, I've got nine minutes. Anybody believe that's happening? <laughs> okay, before I get going, I wanted to welcome Gary's family from France, uh, his daughter and son-in-law, if, if I'm correct, and they serve in ministry in France, and they have their daughter, which is Gary's granddaughter, Mirabelle with them, and so we just wanted to welcome you and say how much of a blessing it is for you to be with us uh, this morning. So, um, so anyhow, I was thinking as I prepared for this, I had what I thought was a really good message this morning, and I kind of consider messages as... Um, as words going forth to fight a battle that we're in. In other words, when God's worth comes forth, it should give us ammunition, it should give us resources, it should give us that which is needed to fight the battle that we're going into. And in my own experience, what the people that I listen to, and I do listen to a lot of different teachers each week, their words tend to speak to me in a way that prepares me for what's coming up that week, 
or what's coming up in the future. And it's interesting because when I hear something, a lot of times I'll hear something and I'll go, man, that was so good. It spoke right to what I was doing and right to where I was and, and what I was dealing with and who I was dealing with and all of that. And then I'll speak to somebody else and they'll say, yeah, he spoke exactly to where I am. And then when I talk to them, we f I find out we're in completely different places. And somehow God had prepared us for what we were going to meet uh, the adversaries that we were going to meet or the victories we were going to have, even though those victories were completely different from what other people were doing. So I was thinking about this, and, and I had a, a message, which I'm going to share very briefly this morning, I, I hope. And, uh, and then Abigail called and said, hey, I have this word that I think God gave to me that I'd like to share with the congregation and I was just reading the passages about Barak and Sisera and Deborah and how God had called Deborah to be the, the, the judge of Israel and, and she says, Barak, you're going to go to war and, and Barak says, I'm only going to go if you'll go and, and she says, but if I go, I'll get the glory instead of you. In other words, I'll get the benefit of, share, of winning this victory or sharing this victory instead of you. And then I thought... What a terrible week for that to come up. <laughs> that I had this message that I wanted to share, and then here comes Abigail, who has a message she wants to share from the Lord, and, and I believe it was from the Lord. And so I want to piggyback on her message this morning, because I think that, that we in the body of Messiah have done a disservice in many times by limiting the availability of opportunity to women and others in our community because of our own selfishness to keep the glory for ourselves. One person amen me. Thank you. Okay? If we look in the scriptures, for instance, in the story of Moses' birth, every hero in that story is a woman. So, so I, I want us to kind of focus and understand that God didn't choose to only use men. He chose to use women also. As a matter of fact, he chose a woman to bring forth the Messiah so that we could have deliverance. So, so I was so, you know, here I was, I have this, this word that I wanted to share. And then Abigail said, well, I've got a word I want to share. And I'm like, oh, now I've got to be Barack. And... <laughs> So, you know, and, uh, but the, the goal is to have victory. The goal is not to have notoriety. And so I want to share, bouncing off of what, uh, what Abigail said, but, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joshua. Chapter 4. And I want to talk about, make sure I did all this stuff. Okay, good. I want to talk about the fact that I believe with all my heart that the body of Messiah today lacks power because we haven't gotten stoned enough. Now, some of you, some of you are taking this the wrong way. When we look in the scriptures, there is a significant amount of events in which the central character in the story is not human. One of those events, Abigail, she came back now. Uh, thank you for returning. I was nice enough to sit through your talk. See, Leah, I do it to others, too. It's not just you. Okay. Bad rabbi. Okay, so Abigail talked about and mentioned briefly the stone that Jacob used as a pillow, and he then you poured oil on it. He used that stone to mark a place of memorial 
where he had this experience with God. We also have the events where, uh, where, where the stone traveled through the desert with Israel, and that's where the water poured out of for them. We also have in Joshua, and if you stick with me, I'm going to get back to our Parsha, so just, just hang on. But in Joshua, it says, It came to pass when all the people had passed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take twelve men from the people, from every tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take from the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood, stood firm. By the way, that firm is that same word that, uh, that Abigail used. Uh, stood firm twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of, of the people of Israel from every tribe a man. And Joshua said to them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan and take every one of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their father in the time to come, what do, these stone, what do you mean by these stones? And again, Many times in the scripture, in our faith, as we, we do things, we're constantly told your children are going to ask you and you need to have an answer for them. Our whole Passover Seder is the result of that statement. When your children ask, here's what you tell them. And that's why we have the four questions in our Passover. It says, when your children say, what do you, what do you mean by these stones, then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And the people of Israel did as Joshua commanded, and took twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord spoke to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they're there to this day. For the priests who carried the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hurried and passed over. And it came to pass, when all the people had passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people, and the sons of Reuben, and the sons of God, and half the tribe of Manasseh, passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses spoke to them. Now I want to stop there, because that's the point in this story that connects with our Parsha from Beshalach. So let's look at Beshalach. And it says, and, jo and Jonathan did a great job reading this morning, And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God let them not through the land of the Philistines, although it, that was near, for God said, perhaps the people will repent when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up armed out of the land of Egypt. Now, what's happening here is the, the children of Israel are, have gone through the, the, the Red Sea. They've got, they're going in that direction. They're, they're going and this miracle's happening and all this is happening. And in the midst of this, we read these words where God says, I don't want you to go near the Philistines because if you see Milchama, if you see war, you might, you might shuv, you might return to Egypt. And so he says, we're going to do that. But it, then it goes on to say, and the people of Israel went up armed out of the land of Egypt. And the word there for armed is chamushim, which is an interesting word. Because the word chamushim, which means to be armed or to be arrayed for battle, which is what it's talking about here, uses the same root word as chamash or chumash or chamesh, which is five, the number five. When we read from the Chumash, it's the readings from the Torah that we read during our, our Parsha readings. There's, there's actually a book called the Chumash, and the Chumash has within it the, the only the Torah readings and the Haftorah readings, and that's what we read from, those chosen readings on Shabbat, when we read from the Torah and the Haftorah. And then, of course, here, because we believe in the Brit Kaddishah, we also read a portion from the Brit Kaddishah. 
So the rabbis are looking at this word and they're trying to figure out what does this mean that we would have this word that comes from the word five from the same root and yet it's not talking about five. And one rabbi said, well, what it really means is that every man in Israel had five children when they left the land. And they connected it to the idea of quiverful, of being armed, of of having that and the connection to a, you know, having children. Uh, most people put that off as not true, basically because if every man had it, that means that even those that were like 18 would have had five children. That doesn't make sense. So it's not that. So I believe the connection has to do more with the Chumash, or more with the understanding of the Torah, and the five books of Moses, even though they didn't have the five books of Moses in written form yet. And I believe what we're seeing here in all that goes on and ultimately that connects with what happens in Joshua's day, and the reason I say this is because we have the exact same word when it says Reuben and God and half-tribe of Manasseh all had this same thing. They're going through the same event 40 years apart. The waters parted and they cross over and they're armed when they go across. And then when they go into the promised land, 40 years later, they're going into the promised land and it says, and they're armed again. Now what's interesting is when they're coming out of Egypt, God does a victory, this amazing supernatural victory to Egypt as they leave. And God destroys the Egyptian army. But Israel didn't have to fight. They just had to be armed. And they didn't have to be armed with weapons. They had to be armed with faith in God and trusting in God. And when they go into the promised land, we see them the opposite side. It's like the reverse, the mirror image. As they go across the, the Jordan River, miraculously the water parts, miraculously cross. They, they gather the stones and place them as memorials. And again, this understanding of the presence and, and nature of Yeshua, the physical presence of God, Showing up, the father and the son, Av, Aleph, Vet, Ben, Beit, Nun, Stone, Aven, is in the central place in these stories as it goes along. But in the story going into the uh, promised land, God does this amazing miracle to defeat the army on their way into the promised land. And those of us who have been to the city of Jericho or the remnants of the city of Jericho know of the story how the children of Israel marched around Jericho how many times? Okay, I want you all to read the story because it's more than seven times. I know we talk about seven but that's the last time and just read the story. It's a little more than that. It's kind of like how many days were they on the ark? Everybody says 40, but it was about a year. How many of you know, we don't want to get in all the how many's that we teach our children that are wrong, but, but just read the story. You'll find out it's a few more than seven. But they march around, and then the walls come tumbling down, and God gives this miraculous victory to the Israelites over the city of Jericho as a result of the sounding of the shofar and hearing the voice of God proclaimed over the city of Jericho. I think this is really relevant to us today because I believe that we're still in a battle. And I believe we still have an Amalek that is trying to destroy the people of God. Amalek was a, uh, described as an army that would attack the weak the separated, the sick, the ill, the old, those that couldn't keep up. In other words, Amalek defeated their enemies by dividing them a little at a time 
until all that was left were those that were capable of war, but all those that were left had lost people to death before the battle. And I believe that's what's happening in our body today as Amalek, in our case, let's just term Amalek uh, progressive um, humanism. A false religion that makes humanity God and believes that it's their role to make everybody else believe that way. And Amalek isn't attacking the army of God. Amalek never attacks the army of God until it whittles down the army of God to a small group that are still left, but who are all broken because of the death of those that they loved and the destruction that has taken place. Amalek is easily defeated if God's army stays unified. And if God's army realizes that the battle is not ours, it's his. I have a friend, and I'm going to ask you to pray for him, and many of you know him because he's one of the MJA leaders. He's a, a good friend of mine, someone that I, I, I care about, I respect. His name is Rabbi Michael Stepakoff. And Michael Stepakoff was at the event in uh, Washington a few weeks ago. Uh, we also had some other people from our congregation that were there. Uh, the, but the difference is that Rabbi Stepakoff actually walked into the Capitol building after the uh, incursion. Whatever word you want to use for people going into a place they weren't supposed to go into. At my house... We call those people shot. Okay, if you come into my house, you're not supposed to be. You break in to get there, there you're probably going to die from lead poisoning. But he went in not because he had plans to go in. He didn't go up to Washington with plans to go in there. He was at the front of the crowd, and when people started going and pushing, he was just kind of moved up in there, and he got inside, and he had a nice conversation with the police officers inside and thanked them for their service and took a few pictures of the building around and, and uh, what then left. And uh, this week, he was arrested by the FBI uh, for being in a building he wasn't supposed to be in. It's a misdemeanor charge, and... It'll go through the process, and they're making examples of people uh, as the government uh, tends to do. But I, uh, I thought about that situation, and the reason this is real to me is because, first of all, Michael's a real good friend, and I don't think he did anything. I think in order to violate the law, you have to have intent to violate a law. That's the way our laws are written. Intent is required. And I don't think he intended to do anything other than be in a demonstration to show his support for his political candidate and his position, as a million other people did. Um, but got swept in. And now, if you look online, and don't do this. I, I say if you look online. I don't want you to look online, as half the people in the congregation pull out their cell phones. And... Uh, you'll see that there is the beginning of news about this arrest. So they have articles that say, uh, Messianic, or Rabbi, Rabbi arrested for participating in siege of Capitol building. Or those kind of things. Which is bad enough uh, that that's how they report. And listen, my brother works in law enforcement. His department... Uh, had arrested some people with some, uh, I can't think of, what's the drug? It's the powder that if you even touch a little of it, it goes through your skin and fentanyl. fentanyl. I, I knew you'd know. <laughs> I was really expecting some of the others in here to shout it out, but. <laughs> so anyhow, they had arrested some people with fentanyl 
And one of their lab technicians, the people in the, uh, the, where they put the stuff that they get when they arrest people. The evidence locker, thank you. I'm making this look like that as if I've never had any involvement with the police department. So, so they, the evidence locker and the person who was doing it gets sick from contact on the outside of the bags with fentanyl gets rushed to the hospital. So the news report headline says, evidence locker technician gets rushed to hospital from drugs. You know, so the way it read was he used the drugs that were in the evidence and it caused him to go to the hospital. That's the way newspapers write things. So, so that's written. So here's the problem though, is it's going to go beyond that because Believe it or not, there are people out there that don't love messianics. I know it's shocking, but there's a whole section of Judaism that is not very pleased that we're around because they don't agree with us theologically. And when I say that, I understand their position because I used to be one of them. Okay, so if you strongly believe Yeshua is not the Messiah, then you are not happy that there are Jews around who believe Yeshua is the Messiah. So that makes good common sense. But now this is something else that the Jewish community can point at a Messianic rabbi and say, look, this Messianic rabbi got arrested for going into the capital during this riot. But then it goes beyond that because the other people that were at the head of this riot were white supremacists, neo-Nazis, um, Antifa, you know, all these people that... So now, Messianic Judaism is associated with anti-Semitism, white supremacy, racism, and all of those things because now this guy got arrested with these people. And so that's all one amalgamated thing. So now there's this... Thing, but the enemy is trying to use this to divide and conquer. So we need to pray for Michael and, and pray for all those that, were, that are involved in, in that. But, but here's the thing. I said all that just to get to this place. We have to change our mindset. We have to get stoned a little more. Okay, we have to be looking at the stone and not ourselves. We have to be looking. We're not going to, and I posted this on Facebook this week, we are not going to vote darkness out of our nation. We can't use a political solution to bring about a faith-based answer. It doesn't matter how much we vote this world is not our home. This is in our kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this world. That doesn't mean we don't vote. It doesn't mean we're not involved in that. But our victory isn't going to come at the ballot box. Our victory at the ballot box will come if we align with faith in God. And we're fighting our battle with the weapons of warfare, which is his word, instead of fighting our battle with the weapons of this world. And we have to change the way we're doing this in every aspect. We're not going to solve racism through political changes. It doesn't matter how many political laws you make, it's not going to change the hearts of people who hate people. We're not going to solve anti-Semitism by passing more laws. We're also not going to stop gun crime by passing more laws. We're not going to solve abortion by passing more laws. Now, that doesn't mean that I think we should make it legal. I think we're, we should use the laws that we have, but we're going to win when we change hearts. When we realize that the weapons of our warfare are not political. And I say that as someone who's very political. I believe in political action. But that's the second part of what I do, not the primary. 
until we begin to pray, until we begin to fast, until we begin to read His Word as if our life depended on it, because it does, until we begin to love one another as we're supposed to, until we begin to put Him first and as the central in everything that goes on in our life, until it's not about a political party or a political issue or anything else, but it's about proclaiming Yeshua, we're going to continue to lose battles because we're fighting the wrong skirmishes and we're causing division among the body. I had friends this, well, I'm only 18 minutes behind. I had friends, and believe it or not, I have friends that aren't conservative. And I still like them. I don't agree with them, but I still like them. And they were spouting out all kinds of stuff. And I said, listen, even if you were right, how is this glorifying God? If we as believers are fighting amongst ourselves over politics or music, I listened to two people argue about a song the other day. Now, there are songs I don't like. There are songs that I think are unbiblical. I'll give you one example of that. Um, Reckless Love. I don't think God can be reckless. I, don't think it's, I think recklessness by its very nature is doing something you don't know the outcome of. It's what the word means. When you drive recklessly, you're driving as if it doesn't matter what happens when you drive. I don't think God can be reckless. But I'm not disfellowshipping anybody because they believe in reckless love. Just won't have lunch with them. No, I'm... But there are congregations that have divided over songs. There are congregations that have divided over colors. There are congregations that are divided over all kinds of things. Amalek is still around. And we're trying to defeat Amalek with the arms of Egypt instead of the power of God. I think that the body of Messiah should be the most vocal when it comes to politics of any group of people there are. I don't believe in separation of church and state or synagogue and state. But I believe if we do it without being filled with the Ruach, without being anointed by God, without carrying the banners of God's word, without proclaiming first God's word and then man's word, we're going to fail every time and we're going to be looking like we're weak and inept and we will never see victories like Jericho. And we will never see victories like the parting of the Red Sea. Those things are available to us. I'm praying, and I've made this very clear, I'm praying for President Biden. And I know there are people that are listening to this who just grimaced and said, he's not my president. I know there are people that are listening to this that said he's an illegitimate president. I don't care. This isn't my kingdom anyhow. This is where I live and I do care about the mishmash stuff that went on in the election. But I can't do anything about that. If I ran into the White House right now, I would not change anything but my domicile. That's it. But I can enter there in the spirit through prayer and see God change Biden's heart and see God change 
Harris's heart and see God change Pelosi's heart. See, as long as they're alive, God can still move in their hearts and then we can see victory. Or we can complain. The children of Israel, this is closing. The children of Israel had the Egyptians behind them and they had the sea in front of them. And that's all they could see because they didn't realize that God was with them. And all they did was complain to Moses. The enemy's behind us. The water's in front of us. Did you just bring us out to die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Moses cries out to God. And I love God's answer. God's answer is, why are you yelling at me? Lift up your arm. Lift up your staff. You already know what to do. Why are you yelling at me? And there's a lot of believers that have forgotten that God is with us. The victory is still ours. We win. We've read the book. We know what happens. And we're yelling at God and yelling at each other and complaining. And I think we need to change our hearts and our minds. That's not changing our goal. Our goal is to see righteousness in our land. Our goal, listen. I voted for President Trump. But he was not my goal. He was just better than the other one. He was just four more of the things that I'm for. And I'll continue to vote for the people that are for more of the things that I'm for. But I'm not going to spend all my energy and all my time complaining. I'm going to spend it encouraging. I'm not going to spend my time hating people. I'm going to spend my time loving people. I'm going to spend my time talking about good things instead of bad things. Because there's good things happening. My wife, I shared it, it, there, the, the amazing power and love of God to after 17 years heal my wife to the place where she can lift her arm to worship that's something to shout about and we each have those things this week we each have testimonies this week and if we start sharing that listen we don't need Facebook and Twitter and MeWe and a parlor and all that and they can turn all of those off and they still can't stop the message of God that doesn't travel on the internet it travels on the ether somebody said they believe that the Lord is coming back soon and I said why and they said because never in the history of man could everybody all over the world see Yeshua's return? And the Bible says when Yeshua returns, everybody's going to see him. And now we have the internet and television and everybody can see him. And I said, do you really think God needs the internet? If God wants everybody in the world to see him, he doesn't need Twitter or Facebook or AOL. Is AOL still there? He can just appear. Somebody sent me an email this week. They found a red heifer in Argentina. We're so excited. I said, why? The red heifer's supposed to be in Israel. God isn't going to use genetic engineering to bring about a red heifer. He's just going to create one. And I think he's going to do it from two white cows. So that there's absolutely no question that he did it. I believe we're going to see a great revival in our land. 
I, I believe it's going to be worldwide, but I think it's going to be in our land. And I think it's going to come from ways that are going to amaze us because it's only by those things that God's going to get the glory. We're Barak. God's going to use us, but he's going to get the glory. We have to change the way we think so that that can happen. We have to get stoned. Our focus has to be on the stone, on the presence of God, because all of us this year have wrestled with having our focus on everything but God at times. Some of us have done better than others. But we've had COVID and all of its related stuff. And we've argued in our congregation. There are people, listen, I know this is going long. You'll just have to endure. There are people in our congregation that have had the COVID uh, vaccine but won't say anything about it because they don't want to have the war that comes with mentioning that. We have people in our congregation that don't have it and aren't planning on getting it, but they're not going to say anything because they don't want to have the war that comes with that. And I know there's at least one person that's either in here or watching online that voted for Biden and Harris. Look, nobody's shaking their head. This is the most steady and still this congregation has ever been. And they have their reasons, which I personally would disagree with. But they're not going to say anything because they don't want the war that comes with it. Somebody sent me an email this week, and this will be my closing, number three. They said, Rabbi, I'm really interested in your congregation. I've been watching your foundation classes for, for a number of weeks, and I really enjoy your teaching, and I've watched some of your services, and I, I'm, I'm really interested. But here's my question. Will you allow people to come to your congregation if they put up a Christmas tree? Now listen... Who was that? Kobe, did he say no? Out of the mouth of babes. No. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because of the internet, because of things out there, because of things people have said, because of all of that, that's a question someone is asking before coming to fellowship with us. That's Amalek. I said, listen, we let everybody make their own choices and we really don't have Christmas tree police. We don't have a group of people that we send out to spy in people's windows to see if they have trees set up in their houses. I said, we don't have Christmas trees, we don't do Christmas as a community, but we have to let everybody have their relationship with God and make their own decisions. There are people that won't come to our congregation because they think we will throw them out for having a Christmas tree. That's a Melech. We need to get stoned. We need to make Yeshua the central place in our lives. And then from that power, speak with authority. From that anointing, be bold. But if you haven't prayed, and you haven't fasted, and you haven't studied, you got no business speaking on behalf of the kingdom of God. Let's all stand. We have only two choices. We speak by the anointing and power of the Spirit of God, or we speak on behalf of Amalek. You can say the right thing at the wrong time under the wrong spirit and be more divisive, 
than if you just cussed somebody out. Listen, if you heard what I just said and you think I compromised my convictions or my policies or my issues or, or think I'm compromising on, uh, on biblical marriage or my beliefs about abortion being murder or, or any of the other things, you didn't hear what I said. I think we have to be even stronger in our beliefs on issues that are biblical but I think our strength has to come from God, not from politics or man-made organizations or our own stinking attitudes. We have to speak with the authority of the Ruach and the power of God's Spirit. And we can only do that if we are fellowshipping with Him if we are praying, if we're worshiping, if we're fellowshipping with each other, if we're encouraging each other, if we're lifting each other up. It's so important that we understand this because I don't think God's done with us. And I think that God wins. And I want to be on His team. And a lot of us switch teams for a time this year. We got surrounded by fear, we got surrounded by hatred and violence we attack the weak among us Romans I think it's 11 all talks about how we're supposed to treat those that are weak in the faith there are people fighting with people who are weak in the faith and if you beat up an old infirm person you got nothing to shout about if that's all you can do heard a pastor once say if all you can do is beat up a woman if that's where you get your feelings of strength and if all you can beat is the weak and infirmed if all you can do is argue with those that are already beaten you got nothing to brag about we're supposed to be protecting we're supposed to be surrounding those that are weak in the faith and praying for them and fighting against the adversaries that would come against them. There's a reason God told Joshua, put these stones here. It's so that every generation would hear the story of God's victory and God's miracles and how no one could claim the credit for what God did. And we're going to see things change. We're going to see miracles. Lift your arm up. See, two miracles. Two miracles. One, she lifted her arm up. Two, she listened to me when I told her to lift her arm up. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see amazing things happen and I'm telling you I'm believing for changes in government positions and people I'm believing that God is going to touch hearts of people we've seen it happen over and over and over but we're not going to have it by hating them I've never seen anybody hated into the kingdom of God don't give up chazak chazak be strong, be strong, and be strengthened. And that only comes from acquiring the armor of God and then using it.
up his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace this is the way you shall be blessed from day to day he'll be your rest may the lord may the lord bless and keep you may his grace his face shine upon you may the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace and give you Joshua and Hur saw Moses getting weak and they immediately grabbed an Evan, a stone, and set it there so that he could have someone and then they held his arms up. Today, we would have just told them it was time to quit. Moses, you're just not strong enough anymore. It's time for you to be replaced. Hold up your arms, hold up your own arms. If you can't do it, it's time to get someone else to do it. We would have changed who we are. You know the sad part of the whole capital thing? And listen, this is gonna be the last time I mention the capital thing. No, this is the last time I'm gonna mention the capital thing. The saddest part of the whole capital thing is not that a million people gathered together to go there, but it's that a handful of demon-possessed people felt comfortable enough to stand next to the million of people that were there. Light is supposed to drive out darkness. If all of those people that went up there had prayed, and I'm not saying some didn't, I know Sam did, and others that went with him, and Please, if you're in the FBI, Sam did not go in the building. <laughs> There's those that did. But if we had a million people that went up there to pray for our nation, those people that went into that building would not have been able to stay there. They've been driven away by the power of God. Demons have to flee. If we can get the change, if we get our hearts right, if we can get our souls right, if we can align with God's word, if we can put on that armor that Israel had when they came out of Egypt, if we can put the armor of God on that Ephesians talks about, if we can arm ourselves that way, we won't have to worry about disagreements in the body because the enemy will have to flee. And then we'll walk in unity and the walls will fall down. One mind, one accord, in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. Gather together with your loved ones. Yevarech Adonai ve'yishmerecha Yair Adonai Panavelecha Vichunecha Yis Adonai Panavelecha Veyasem Lecha Shalom Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
Adonai, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. B'shem Yeshua Meshekinu Sar Shalom, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the rock of our faith. Amen and amen.